every podcast I say I'm a youth mentor I'm actually creating my own foundation brand brand new this year for me because I have an entrepreneur mindset I want to tackle the things that people haven't tackled so for instance getting the actual premises like really going for it so I've got a local petition that I'm starting you can find it on change.org which is basically turning the old NatWest building on Acton High Street to a youth community complex uh, so I just started a great idea to have a crowdfunding campaign in my local area so go and support us we've got a page and a link for that as far as like school and stuff like that i i couldn't really learn like everybody else like i could i can't sit in the classroom and learn like i can't just sit in. they try to make everybody learn the same the way, same way. Mm-hmm. and that that can mess some people's lives up it's jerome i'm here from the desire to inspire podcast and i'm an entrepreneur youth mentor and basically i'm here to talk about business entrepreneurship and just my thoughts and uh, general thoughts of the day um so yeah basically i'm here just to kind of talk about you know my thoughts of the day today and i want to make a massive disclaimer um because it's gonna be a heavy heavy podcast um and i want to just make this the disclaimer so the disclaimer is we're not trying to say you know as men you know talk about myself what people should do and not do and what's right and what's wrong these following topics are based on my own experience observation data and research a collation of all of them so yeah the whole objective is to have a conversation to lead to action to lead to change so you know dame dash said it great greatest you know we've got to be able to make you know impact together as a unit to get laws and acts changed passed and um yeah today was just a mixture of like kind of like my evening and then my day so i use an app called Bigo, and there was like people on there talking about like um the black community people got to support the black community and what issues we have and you know it was pretty interesting because i like to talk I, like, I love to have a debate and i love to have uncomfortable conversations because we need to grow um as humans and, and and grow so for me it was like you know if you want to talk about like the children working in the schools you know if you look at it from the outside in you know there's a lot of rights that children and parents don't even have it's, it's, it's crazy but Anyway, we're going to kind of break it up because I know I can get creative and I can kind of go on a tangent and just go into space sometimes and jump around because that's how my mind sometimes works. But, you know, that's just kind of it really. But the reason why I put the juice thing in there was the simple fact, kind of the topics I'm talking about today. A lot of the stuff I've got from like American references from what Americans are saying and what America, what's happening in America. But one of the biggest things while I'm talking about it today was like, the biggest things I get from Americans is like, oh, do you get racism in here? Like America? Like, does it get racism? Is, is it like that in England? It's like, what do you think? Like, you know, white supremacy is, for me, is a real thing. I, I definitely believe that. And it's global. Um, definitely, obviously, America have more history. But definitely, black people in England and the UK have had the same kind of issues and problems over generations. Um, I've seen it. So... Um, I'm going to talk about, you know, the black community from my standpoint, what I think, and you know, the topic, you know. So, again, I'm going to keep it a bit more structured than normally I just talk. Um, so, I'm going to make it easy to follow and listen to. So, yeah, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was destroying, you know, the black flame in the, com- the community. You know, is this conspiracy or is this a fact? You know, are we just looking at, you know, just people's views and thoughts? That's all great. But at the end of the day, like I said, it has to be backed up, right? To make sense, it has to be cohesive. It has to be backed up with your experience of what you've lived, your observation of people's lives, data, meaning, you know, what you've seen over a period of time, 
um, and research, going online, looking at the history, looking at what's going on again in America. Like I said, most of my resources are from American studies, from, you know, looking at um, Dr. Um, Dr. Boyce Walkins, sorry. He talks about black economic wealth, economic wealth. Um, you're talking about, you know, No More Exclusions uh, podcast, where this lady wants to stop permanent exclusions because there's actually an agenda and a target for young black men. Um, so, yeah, again, we're going to go really deep. And again, obviously, I'm, I'm black and I'm a man, so most of this connects with me wholeheartedly. So the first topic we're going to talk about is, is basically non-fathers in the home. Yeah, so I think this just stems from, you know, how we, I think I talked about this in the last podcast, like how we see women, how we treat women. You know, we're taught to be players. We're not taught to love just one woman. And we're, we're, we're just, we just being ingrained with that belief that we have to act like that. Um, and being soft, you know, if you're sweet, you know, you know, back in the day, people say, oh, you're sweet, boy, you're too nice. And nice guys finish last and all this stuff. And, you know, we're basically taking away the, the love and the care you should, you should be able to show your woman. Um, so this includes with many children, with many different women. So obviously I'm talking about my own life because my dad has 18 children and my mom has two. So altogether I have 20 siblings, which is crazy, right? And if I were to talk to anybody, every time I meet someone, I'm like, how many siblings you got? Like when I say that number, they can't fathom it. Um, but that's just normal. You know, most people would have at least, you know, one or two co-parents, right? Um, so they have multiple children with different women. That already breaks up families, breaks up the, you know, it's just, that itself causes problems. I remember doing some research talking about the shotgun wedding and the shotgun wedding was basically like, if you accidentally, or if you're not even with the woman and you get her pregnant, you have to marry her because they know the importance of it. Even in certain cultures, like the Asian culture, like they make sure that marriage is, is held so high. And obviously I'm like on both sides because I'm not pro-marriage or whatever, but the epitome of like your adolescence is just to get married and, you know, but you should be able to be happy and love yourself and and be, you know, happy and, and ready. You know, you shouldn't be forced into relationship and forced into building a family because that can even have more an effect if it's not done effectively um, and it's not done, you know, naturally, basically. And one of the topics I'm talking about is homosexuality. So obviously people might come on this podcast, like the LGBT community and be offended, but this is just my stamp, stance on it. Like young black men have so many problems that, you know, homosexuality, the, the the proneness of it, you know, and we're not here to judge anyone and say what people should do behind closed doors, but at the same time, it's like there's so many other problems which we're going to go into later that that basically helps white supremacy. It does because it stops people having children um, and it stops people creating families. Um, so that's definitely part of the problem, the same as um, non-biological fathers in the home. People are not staying together long enough. Uh, black men marrying white women and having babies with white women, again, we're not here to judge no one and say who, what race they should be with. If you love someone, you love someone, right? That's, we're not here to, to guide anyone. But obviously, if you're looking at certain communities, they stick, they've stuck to their own in a certain generation. A lot of men, I can only speak for my, my peers, you know, they've, they've even told me firsthand that black women are too angry or black women are too fiery and I can't deal with them and they're, they're too aggressive. And, you know, so all of that now, that toxic energy in a relationship or even a marriage can become really masculating for men. You know, men have really, you're going to go into it, like kind of lost their power, you know, in the community that they're from. If you look at every community, the Jewish community, the Asian community, the man is the pillar. You know, they even have the old Adish um, tradition of stay-at-home mom, worker, you know, go and work in a job. But, you know, a lot of other, other um, countries have done that. You know, the man 
you know, owns the house. The man has more power, is what I've got to say. The women obviously give birth to the babies, but the men are the ones that really are the breadwinner. Uh, they're the ones that have the, the protection. And obviously that is society's way of what a man is, you know. So obviously we're changing, we're evolving as humans, you know, that's, that's the whole point in life. We're meant to evolve and we're meant to change. Um, a lot of black men are in a criminal justice system. A lot of people think, you know, I've got to just sell drugs. And sometimes it's not their fault, right? You know, if you've got an older in the area, they're the ones that's introducing to drugs, right? So we got to be able to get these youth on some different stuff and not just thinking drugs. If you want to make money, go straight to drugs, you know, because end of the day, if you get into that, and I've even had people in my family, like, you can end up the other side of it. You know, you can easily end up taking the drugs you're selling. That's just very common, you know? Whether you, you get really highly addictive, whether you're not, a lot of people have tested drugs just because it's around them. I've had somebody tell me that firsthand. Um, and, you know, getting into gangs, getting into criminal activities with a bunch of people that you call friends that at the end of the day are going through their own trauma and their own pain. And, you know, when you're getting into involving criminal activities, all you're doing is feeding the criminal justice system. You're making sure that solicitors and, and judges and courts and all these people have money in their pocket because every time someone gets arrested or you put your name into a system or you go to court, you're feeding their system. You don't benefit off that. And then you go to prison and they end up just staying into prison and reoffending because you don't find any way out. You come out and then you go ahead and reoffend and the cycle continues. Some of the support um, in the prisons are not really um, effective enough why people go back. A lot of people's life is better in jail why they go back. Um, so it's, it's, it's very rare. And I've, I've actually lucky enough to have a, a massive role model in my family. I'll even say his name, Dwayne. Right, person who went in prison and completely changed his life. So that's the beauty of life. The beauty of life is that you can change. <laughs> you know, Jay Z was a drug dealer and now he's a billionaire. So it all depends on your mindset and how you can outthink your surroundings. I heard that before in Master P interview. Like, that was my story. My story was that I want to do different than what I saw John do. I want to do different what that was around me because I'm different and I'm unique. I don't have to be a sheep. I don't have to do everyone else because I'm afraid afraid to be called a wimp or an idiot or. A, you know, I don't care. Like, I'm one of them people where I judge myself. I don't you do need you to judge me, right? So, at the end of the day, people need to think as individuals and as, as independents. And, yeah, it's just it's just crazy because a lot of this stuff was around me growing up. And I was experiencing certain stuff. And, you know, when I started to make certain decisions in my life, I realized why I was doing it. I'd done it because I wanted to feel connected. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel accepted. But at the end of the day, you have to feel loved and accepted for yourself. And that's a deep, a deeper spiritual journey. Um, and I remember talking about this yesterday, actually. I feel like 20 to 30 in, in, in anybody's life, boy or man, whatever, is, 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 is really key. That's the time you learn and grow. I don't think you should, you, should, you should be pushed into adulthood or, you know. But I know some of these things happen. We're, we're in the day and age of unprimed pregnancies. But if we could gear up the next generation, Generation Z, with the information and the guidance, then we've we done our job. And this what this whole podcast and my whole life purpose is all about um a knife and gun crime with, with black men killing black men because there's a lot of self-hate which, which stems back to the slavery days of house slaves and field slaves people don't know that the, the house slaves are the ones that were running the field slaves so there's that self-hate embedded for centuries this is hundreds of years this isn't just the last 50 40 30 years this is centuries of self-hate why you can see a guy that looks like you you know, and you want to kill him, somebody that's like you, that's a whole, that's a whole, um, you know, psychological thing that's generationally been with us, turning on each other. So like I said, I'm not here to judge anyone, but I'm just saying with the 
collation of the non-biological fathers in the home, people feel like the lost voice and that goes into problems. Homosexuality, black men marrying white women, black men in the criminal justice system. And again, this is race and statistics, bro. So the knife and gun crime with black men, killing black men. So all of this now has taken the power of, of men out of society, which I said before, as a whole. So each race matters. Like I said, like every single, well, every single, but most communities, Arab, Asian, white, Chinese, the men have that power and the black man has been broken down in all of these factors. So they all actually matter. Um, so again, we're just going to highlight these things and we're going to try and work on it over time. Supporting black businesses. This is something that came up yesterday um, in, in the chat. Um, and people say, why is that key? You know, why should we support black businesses? And what's the, what's the issue like today? Like, how can we do something today? And that's always my thing. A lot of people come together and can talk five hours about the problems, right? We can do it all day, but we're talking about solutions. What's next? What can we do next? And I've said this many, many, many times. It takes a village to raise, raise the children. And it takes a village, you know, like Dr. Watkins said, the village to raise the bar. Everybody has to come together. Like, we can't do it just a few here, a few here, a few here. And again, like I said, because of all of these problems psychologically, I think it's even hard to have the mental capacity to even have the unity to come together. And sometimes in my head, I think like, oh, it's supporting the black business, like, because the person's black and they own it, or are you employing family? We need to have, for me, we need to have more family-owned black businesses. You know, that's, 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 just, that's just what we have to do. Um, have more sons and dads working together, have more men unify. Like me growing up, I never saw men unify. I never saw men together. I got raised by my mother. I got raised by her sisters. I got raised, you know, by my cousins, my female cousins, right? The one my sisters, it was more my sisters than my brothers. So it's like female energy has always been more unified than men. I don't know, maybe it's ego, whatever it is. But men, young boys need to see men unify, do things together. Like there's like a men camp where, you know, on the weekend we all go... You know, I don't know, like fishing or something manly, you know, go play football or... And that's a continuous thing where they've seen the camaraderie and the, and the connection of men. And that's something that we definitely need to do. I feel like supporting black businesses is making sure that we can have economic power, meaning that the money comes in our community. The money goes... The, there's an old adage quote, the money goes in the Jewish community seven times before it goes out. So basically it means that families know families, right? You, you, you're you more likely to marry someone in the Asian community that you know them your whole life because, you know, basically what happens is that the, the fathers go out to work, connect and, and build together. The, you know, the women are staying at home, connect and build together. They have mother-baby groups. No one's raising children on their own. Um, you know, so even though the man is a working man, the women come together and, and support each other in every way possible. It's, it's a village. This is what I keep saying, you know, and I'm going to keep saying it because... This is for the future. This is we can't do nothing about what's happened, and that's my whole gripe. We can talk about oh, slavery and da da da, but what's what can we do now today? And that's the thing. No, but people, I believe, is just in fear, and that's why I've made my stance. Do I want to do? Because I feel like all I can do is put a platform, put it out. I could die today or tomorrow. I put something out in the universe that one day somebody's gonna look at and think yes, because all of these re um, references and all this research was based on you know, me watching videos and looking at stuff and getting, wow, I got inspired. I'm like, you know what? I want to be a different guy. I want to be the guy. I want to be, because 
the beauty of the internet, the beauty, I love it so much, is that we could put something out that 30 years ago in a room, if we spoke about something important, never got visualized by hundreds and thousands and millions of people to replicate that. So imitation is the best form of flattery, which means that, you know, if you, if you, you know, you got to spark the brain that changed the world. Like Tupac said, it's like, if you watch a video, you're going to get inspired to just jump on your idea and what you want to do and what your version of that is. Because there's people have been doing things like this before. And the reason for me why there's been no change is people don't work together enough as a unit, you know, collective organizations work together, doing different things. And, you know, it's always about people. It's never about the community. And my thing, I want it to be always about the community. Forget Jerome, forget I, forget my name, forget everything I've done or what I'm doing. I want to be able to know that, yeah, I'm connected to this, 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 this. And this is a unit. This is this is a collective, holistic approach that we're taking. Because it's, it's going to take a lot. But there's no quick fix. This is going to be something that we have to work on for years. But unity is the key. And that's why I'm going to keep saying that because that's all we need is really the unity and, and knowing how we're separating. Is it power? Is it ego? Is it insecurity? We need to know how we could stop ourselves from moving forward. That's my little run. But I feel like black male needs to unify, like I said, and like, you know, it's just switch. The, the, the women have the pillars in the community. They are, you know, that's, that's not a, that's not. My opinion, that's that's a fact. Go out there, watch it, centuries. You know, people are being born, people's lives are there. You can see it all. Um, so they have the power, they have the children, they have their house. And due to the fact that, you know, females, you know, they, they, they start to play both roles because they feel that's what they have to do. And then, you know, because if, if a guy doesn't grow up with a dad, he just feels like, well, it's an option. You know, fatherhood should never be optional, you know. I believe everyone should be there and fight for their children. There are a lot of dads that are good dads and, and fighting, you know, trying to fight for their children. And um, <clears throat> it's very hard for a lot of them, especially when you're co-parent. Every day you wake up, you're not in the same house as your children, you know, and you've got to try and build a bond and a connection. <clears throat> and that can always be broken. You know, even though you're a weekend dad or a part-time dad, that can that can have a toll in your relationship because then obviously the, the person's always going to have a bond with their mum and that's why their mum is so high. I remember, you know, back in school days, maybe even now, if someone cussed your mum, you'll punch them in the face. You know, someone said, you know, F your dad, you wouldn't, you want to hurt them. This this bond that a lot of, you know, fathers, um, sorry, a lot of daughters and a lot of sons have with their mother, you know, because they were the nurturer and they were there for the pivotal years. Um, but like I said, when it gets into adolescence, and this is where for me the problems start, like, because I worked in schools probably like year two, three, four, right? And then after that, you go into secondary, we go into like year eight, nine, ten. This is where the men need to kind of, you know, stand up now, stand up to be counted, as they say, and kind of stick together and really <clears throat> be positive role models in the community, you know, in the schooling and in the home um, and in the family. So just your presence sometimes, you know, even even myself sometimes I think, oh, am I doing the right thing? Doing something and just the fact that I'm there is good. Presence is key. You know, sometimes the fact that, you know, my nephew today just turned 12, right? And it was all women there, you know, my sister's friends and my sisters. And I was only, it's always that, that I'm always the only man, but he gets to know that, look, consistent males. I'm coming like his dad, you know, because his dad's not around. I'm the consistent male in his life. Um, same with my nieces that live around the corner. Like I'm the consistent male in their life, you know, stepping in like a father would, you know, so, but obviously you're an uncle, but it's, it's the same thing. But I consciously do that. I consciously come up, show up, I'm around, I'm there. You know, I even purposely made sure I'm communicating with my niece and nephews. Like, there's a, there's a massive quote, right? And it says that, 
if you want to be a family person, the top five people you need to speak with are family, right? If you want to be close with the youth, the top five people you sh- I should be speaking to are my nieces and nephews. Even if sometimes you feel like I'm just hollering you for no reason, but at the end of the day, relationships are built with effort, you know, and time, investment of time. So that, that that's that's the main thing. The attention is there. And um, yeah, man, it's, it's crazy right now, you know, and, it's, and nothing's changed, meaning that my generation was the same. Um, I feel it's just these two because I feel like the generation before people kind of stayed together in a way um, but I feel like this generation to get someone that's kind of in a relationship and they had a child and they had that unit it's because people don't love themselves and they don't love their partner that's more of again a deep, more of a deeper conversation for another podcast but today I just want to focus and kind of keep on topic um, but yeah that's kind of what I feel and I feel like you know supported financially by, you know, accommodation and local authorities and by the money, you know. So, you know, you're going to go in this country anyway, you go to the council, even just saying that you don't live with your father will give you brownie points. You know, you'll get a flat if you're a single mum. Like, that's what it is. If you're with someone now, they're going to make your life harder. That's how the system is designed. Like I said this before, the system is designed for you to fail. So I've known people, literally people like in my family, good friends that live with the person that they've had babies with and they're addressing stuff to their siblings' house, or they're dressing their stuff. They legally they can't even exist if they say they live in that house, which is crazy. So they're there, they're living there, they're supporting uh, the household financially. They're, they're there, right? Which is the is the most important thing. But in the system, this is what I'm saying. If you were to say you're together, it, your life is harder. Um, very very difficult, especially if you're not married, because this is like a, a a deeper thing now. Because like marriage now holds so much weight within law. So that's, again, I don't really agree with this marriage thing because of these kind of complications, it does. Um, so I know a lot of men, right, that, you know, they, again, back to that point, they don't feel they need to be there because the government has supported them with a, with a house. The government supported them financially and the mum can kind of be all right if she works and supports them with benefits. And that's what we're walking around with, like a lot of um, government babies, I call them. <clears throat> so... This is just one thing that came up to my head today was like equal opportunities in workplaces. Like they always ask you like black, white, this and that. I believe this information collect goes somewhere. It's data. The whole point in filling out an application form is seeing what the demographic is. Every workplace has a demographic. I don't care what nobody says. There's a demographic for a reason. And I don't believe it's people applying for jobs. I believe it's what the acceptance is of people in the workplace. So again, if I was to interview young black male psychologically I would try and help him more than if I you know and it's not it's not like it's not consciously it's just subconsciously even though for me I don't really care about race but just this is just ingrained how we are as humans we love to relate we love to connect and obviously how we connect is what we see visually so that's just how it is like I can't really dwell on it too much but they ask you equal opportunities for a reason I was saying to my sister just now on the phone like, what do you reckon? Do you think they use that? I, that? Definitely they use that. They use all the data. They use the data. They need it. They don't just ask you on a job application. Every job you get, what's your what's your background? They want to know if you're white, black, and they break it down to black Caribbean, black, black, white, Asian, white. They want to, I don't, I don't know why they want to know all the time, but they want to know. Obviously, they want to have diversity in their workplace, but I don't believe you should ask anybody in a job application what they are. Right, doesn't in an application if you meet someone that's different, but I don't like to really give that data out. I don't even like to even say that I put black other because I'm actually African Jamaican, so I'm basically both. There isn't even a section for what I am, 
So sometimes every, like imagine that every application for the years and years and years to you on this earth, you're asked about your um, your ethnicity and just they have to think about what you are all the time. And um, yeah, man, it's crazy, man. Literally, it's crazy. But simple example, man, like always, always like, you know, men moving into women's houses. I've had at least three men, you know, big older men, you know, in their 40s or 50s, homeless because they'd be kicked up by their by their partner. <clears throat> That's because even if you're married, you walk in and you know, you think, oh, this is for life. And, you know, again, the women have the power. They own the house. That's their house. They can kick you out at any time. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and this is why men, just, just, I think people in general, just need to be, to be self-sufficient, you know, financially, you know, spiritually, mentally, like just be self-sufficient. So you know, the, the, the crutch that people walk around with is ridiculous. I can't imagine a woman telling me, ah, oh, Jerome, you got to go. And then you, you even got a plan of nowhere to go. And on top of that, you might not even have the money. Then they have to go down to the bottom and go to your family and say, look, I broke up with my wife. I'm homeless. Like, I actually never want to ever be in that situation in my entire life. Ide- idealistic situation is that everything is a unit. Everything is together. So if we move in, we do it together. You know, if we break up, then we break up. But I feel like men have to always be submissive and always, you know, be vulnerable, basically, of knowing that if they have an argument and the woman say, get out of my house, they have to close their mouth. You know, they might not say it amongst men, but I've known that for a fact, you know, that men get frustrated that, you know, they don't have, and they don't even have a way out. That's even worse because by the time you're married or been in a long-term relationship with women and you have children, people don't want to say it, but they feel trapped. They feel trapped, you know? So it's just crazy, man. I've seen it, I've seen it, and I'm seeing it. So, you know, a lot of them either... Again, back to the women having the pit being the pillars. Either they're still at their mums in their forties with children in their twenties, or they're with their um, partner, right? And and they're living there. I say illegally, but that's in the, in the government's eyes. The name's not on the tenancy, which gives the woman the power because obviously that's how the system is set up. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. But in the in the eyes of the law, I believe that. You know, in terms of co-parenting, father's rights is 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 a, is a massive issue, I believe. Um, and obviously, we're not talking about people that have domestic violence and people who have like molestation in their family. And when men are doing wrong, you know, like I kind of generally believe that whatever parent it is, they do if they're doing anything wrong, they should be removed from that child's life. Like I definitely agree with that. But there's actual fathers out there. They want to be. They're not married and they want to be part of their for the children's life and, and the law makes it difficult and sometimes yes men bring it on themselves definitely 100% I would never sometimes it's the man's fault and women they're emotional they hold on to feelings and stuff so and sometimes the children might look like them the children might act like your um, their father and that, that might even just start to even make it more painful for you but there was a conversation I had actually had with my dad and my dad was saying that Bob Gildoff who's like an English musician Back in, I think it was the 90s or 80s, he was there trying to have father's rights. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, I was even reading something today, actually, about a lot of people that don't want to give, and it's understandable, um, their children the surname of the father and they cross it out on, on a birth certificate. But what that does, and even though I believe they're making parents not have rights in general, straight away you're giving the father no rights at all. So if anything happened, the father couldn't even stand up and say anything because you're not on the birth certificate. 
you will probably go straight to the mother's family. The next person will be an auntie or a grandma or, you know, which is crazy. But again, that doesn't eradicate, obviously. I'm not talking about people that are on drugs or nothing like that because I know people like that where they come from bad homes and stuff like that and parents just physically can't look after them. But we're talking about father's rights, meaning fathers that are active and want to be there and women are purposely using the law against them. And again, I'm not trying to defend people that men that have done bad by women. I'm not. Um, <clears throat> and again, this is crazy because this is centuries of oppression and institutionalized racism, right? This is institutions create this 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 image of white supremacy, even though we know that you know this is not what it is. The demographic is if you look out in the world, being a white male is is like the golden ticket. Like if you you know we used to joke for white friends back in the day that you ain't got no problems, you ain't white, no one's ever gonna put you hold you down from nothing, and you know so. There's, there's definitely something real out there and we need to break that mold because obviously everybody individually feels something different and society has too much of an influence on people's minds and their mindset that for me, I'm not religious, I put my hand up and say that because religion is a man-made thing to divide and conquer. All of this stuff is here to, you know, it's not here for unity and connection and love and all of this stuff. So for me, I believe that this, you know, the the, the, the quote of, you know, is, is, is oppression and all of this stuff supporting why is it real or fake I believe you know I believe it's real I believe for years for centuries it's been like that um, but I remember talking to my brother like one time and he was, I was like yeah it's because there's war and white people in the world but again is that me being told that or is that the truth because he was like nah there's actually more black people in the world today than any other race and I thought nah let me go and do my research I haven't done it yet it's on my list but that was my, my my argument was like, yeah, white supremacy, like there's more white people in the world, but no, they're making it like that. It's visual representations. Like just a little story time. I remember going to university and it was like 90% white and people thought I was a certain way. And if you know me, I'm, I'm nothing like that. And, uh, you know, one time I patted this guy on the back and he goes, oh, I'm getting shanked. Like shanked means getting stabbed. And I thought that was so immature and so disrespectful. And um, I don't understand where that came from. But then when I got to see the background of some of the, people that went to my union that were outside London, I got to kind of understand that you live in a town where there's no black people or if anyone. I had someone tell me, you're my first black friend at 21. You know, they were 21, 22, your first black friend. So one thing, I don't really like London that much, but one thing I love about it is diversity. I grew up with Chinese people, Somalian people, black people, Arab people, you know, um, Middle Eastern people, you know, all grew up where I grew up, you know what I mean? So... I was blessed in that way. I've, I didn't grow up in certain areas, just one race or a certain certain town or city. It's, it's, it's great. You can walk, you can go on a tube right now, six different languages are speaking. So that's, that for me, that's great, right? But anyway, off topic, we're going to go to the next topic, which is the 11 years of UK education system. So obviously when I put the quote in at the beginning, but Juice World, rest in peace, he was talking about how he was in school and, you know, he couldn't learn the same way. And I feel like massive part of the education in this country is a national, national curriculum not being changed and tailored to the youth of today, like the society of the youth today. They're trying to keep the same 60s to 70s style education, which is stand in front of a classroom and just expect people to feed information and learn, right? And I'm actually on Google at the moment. And this is what the national curriculum means. The national curriculum is a set of subjects and standards used by primary and secondary schools so children learn the same things. It covers what subjects are taught and the standards children should reach in each subject. 
Academics must teach a broad and balanced curriculum, including English, maths and science. So obviously that quote is crazy for me because obviously everybody learns the same way. Everyone's different. Everyone consumes information different. If you're a child, if you're an adult, it does like, it's just, everybody has to learn. I feel teachers need more training in different learning styles. Um, and that's just what it is. People need to work together more to support children that have difficulty in their learning. So obviously all of this ties into me, even in the last topic, trying to be the best the change in the world I can see. Like, I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be about it. You know, so going back to what I was talking about, having black role models in your family, in your community, in schooling, I'm trying to do that. I don't want, I don't think I'm going to change the world, but I'm doing my part. You know, that's the whole point. If there's lack of females, um, sorry, if there's lack of males in primary schools and secondary schools, I'm going to be active and get a job and do that. Right? Um, so that's the whole point. You're working for purpose. You're not working for money. It's not like you're going to get rich off this. This is something that's in my heart. This is something that I want to do, generally have a passion for. Um, but also, you got to be about what you talk about. And it's not. It's easier said than done, but it's a discipline at the end of the day. You literally have to be able to do that. But in terms of feeding the youth and creating generational wealth, I've the, the best example I could even think of today was what Wiley done to Ice Kid and Chipmunk. Grime was a young thing in the early 2000s, something that I loved and enjoyed. And at the time, you saw these two kids that were in school just started rapping. He brought them to like Tim Westwood and they rapped and they were like, you know, so stuff like that, looking back at that, in any, it doesn't matter whether it's music, whether it's business, we need to teach the younger generation from school age something bigger than just selling drugs, man. We don't have to sell drugs. We're just talking what we've been told, but who's going to change the mold? So instead of giving your little brother a £10 drawer to sell, why don't you give your little brother a Rich Dad Poor Dad by Ryan, um, Robert Kiyosaki? Why don't you give your little cousin Think and Grow Rich? You know, that's the thing. You might not read it. My stepdad gave me a book on Marcus Garvey at 17. That's the first book I ever read. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I had learning difficulties at school. I, I couldn't read. I was stumbling. I was mumbling. You know, it was crazy. And I had a phobia of reading. And like I said, like before, like, I got into this and, and, and connected to the reading through the schooling. I had to go back to school, uh, to work in a school and go back to school. That's how it really was for me. My journey in 19 was like, started in 2019, basically, with the sheer whim of like, let's just learn on the job. Let's, let, it's trial and error season. It's, fa- it's, it's, it's fail forward, you know, learn from mistakes. It's, 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 it's feedback time. That was my mentality, you know, living in fear of if this happened, that happened. And, Wow, it's about a year and a half now, and I didn't regret that decision, man. I literally, like, at that time, I was working in a miserable job in Heathrow Airport, and I said to myself, I always wanted to work with youth. Like, let me just try, right? I haven't had much experience, done little projects here and there. All right, let me just start working in schools. Like, why not? Like, that's the whole point. Why not? So that was my thing. I come in there, and I said, I'm going to just try and learn and and just go. And literally, like, I, don't, I haven't lost the enthusiasm and the passion since last year. It's actually probably geared up even more because I've done work, I've spoke to people, and it's like I'm more, I'm probably more fired up now because I've had the experience than I was then. And I never stuck, and I kind of was bef- a little bit, like stuck on the notion, of, oh, I've never done this before, and I haven't done it for 20 years. And I'm, I'm saying now, hand on my heart, 20 years are going to change a lot of stuff from the stuff I'm doing. I'll tell you that now because of my mindset is change first, meaning that. I'm trying to change stuff. We're not trying to keep up with the addition because that's what we've been doing. I'm trying to change a lot of stuff. So 
my journey was basically working in primary schools in West London um, and now working secondary schools in West London, um, you know, as a behaviour mentor. So in all London boroughs. So I've worked from Ealing, Hillenden, Hammersmith and Fulham, Hounslow. Um, you know, I've worked in these boroughs um, in the last year and a half. And um, it's been really, it's been really eye-opening. Okay, this is my local area, this is my local community. And we're literally being the person that I wish I had. <laughs> literally, that's just what it is, literally. And, and, you know, for me, it's about knowing and understanding the youth, not just in background, you know, not just in age, you know, because I'm close to the age, but in, in support, I was the same. Like, I was in a low set for everything and... I had someone to support me in my learning because my reading, writing, and maths wasn't the best. So I understand the youth on a different level. And, you know, the theory of, like, you know, going to uni and you have, you have to make it and get a good job and well-paid and you'll be successful, that dream is going to get broken now because the expansion of the internet and people like Richard Branson, he's my biggest role model because he had dyslexia. You know, he couldn't really read and write and he found things difficult and he became a multi-millionaire because he was creative and he used his mind. And a lot of the people that have punted the system have come from out of education. Um, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it because trust me, there are a lot of people that have benefited from it, but it's not the be or end or like you can do other things. And that's what I keep saying all the time. Like I had a, a kid today talking about, yeah, there's this car, you know, I want to make an electric car, you know. So a lot of people can look up to people like Elon Musk and, and Richard Branson or Alan Sugar or anyone and say, look, he created something for himself. And obviously, I'm an entrepreneur and biased, but I believe every child should learn entrepreneurship, learn how to buy, learn how to sell, learn how to build relationships, learn how to market. Like, for me, that's these are, these are life skills that you could use for the rest of your life. And for me, it was like, I found hard at school. I never knew what the problem was. I kind of was, you know, going to college, you know, and I've done a lot of creative stuff. Like, I done music at college. I done sound for free and film, for moving picture. Um, so I was doing that, like, my whole, you know, early two, early 20s, you know. But when I got to like my mid-20s, I was like 24, 25, and I found, you know, the work very hard. You know, university can be very hard. You know, the first, you know, second and third year was the second year for, in particular was so, so difficult in terms of doing the dissertations and writing all the words and my vocabulary and, and my spelling was never the best. And I just thought, you know, my teacher said to me, you got a problem. And I thought, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you got to do this test. I think you might have uh, learned it. I was like, what? Like 24, what are you talking about? So at that time, I thought to myself, you know, like, everything requires learning, man. This is going to mess my whole life up, man. Like, everything, like, it tends to learn the piano, like, because I do music or just learning in general, man, or focusing. And I just, when they done the analysis, it was so real because it was like, all the stuff that I ignored is the stuff that came up. And, and, and I'll say this to anybody. You don't know what to fix unless you know it's broken. So I don't feel anyone should be shamed or put their head down or put pride or ego in front of all of this stuff because you can work on it if you know it exists. That's what I would say for myself. So I, I got this test and it came back. Long ass report. I remember giving it to my mum. My mum reading that for so long. But it explains a lot of stuff. But I can work around it now. So I found out I have ADHD and OCD. But definitely, you, if you know me, like my flat, I'm always cleaning, I'm always sweeping, I'm always, you know, OC, I've got mad OCD. Like, But again, going back to I can understand the kids because I was that kid. I was that kid, like literally. Not talking about just in age, I can relate to you. I can relate to you because I really went through what you went through. And that is what a mentor is, right? Someone that's gone through what you've gone through and came out the other side and beat the system. 
um, you know, but I, for a long time, to be honest, till I got to 25, yeah, I really thought education was the way. And when I left, I went in a, I'll tell you a little story. I went on a cruise ship for six months from 2013 to 14, opened my eyes. It, it basically changed my life. I was building a business plan when I was there. I had the idea. I came back. I was still in that mode, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. I kind of, the action to put it in place wasn't really there. And then I worked for this place called Pantheon UK up in Angel. And I worked door-to-door sales. That just, that saved my life. Because it gave me the, the skills that working in a vibe, a young, vibrant environment it was massive for me. <clears throat> Getting rejected all the time. Facing your fears, like discipline. Like I learned about the laws of averages, which I apply today. Like, I learned so much in that small space of time, more than I learned in the second job I had for seven years, which goes to show you, and I'm going to talk about it later, about just doing it and learning, because that's what you need to do. You need to do stuff to learn. Learning isn't just receiving information and be able to speak it. We have to be able to do it too. And that's why there's a lot of things in theory that don't work in practice, because it's just a theory. And so you do it, and then you can change it. Um, But education for children needs to be fun and engaging. Adults, I'm not speaking for myself, we're forcing kids to do something they don't want to do. That's why they act out. They're saying the school system is bad. That's why I'm bad. I see it all the time. I analyze children. I can see tapping and moving and making noise because it's boring to sit there for an hour, especially in the morning or even like the second lesson after the first lesson. They're just disengaged because if you, if you study neuroscience, People are thinking about so much stuff. So a really good teacher can get and keep your attention on top of trying to deliver their subjects. And I get it. It's a job for them. They have to do what they have to do. And when obviously they go to the schools that they're getting onto them. But at the same time, it's like, that's why I put that thing in juice because it's like, that can mess some kids' lives up. We're forcing them to do stuff they don't want to do. They're getting rude. They're getting angry. On top of that, they have other factors that might affect them, like stuff in home. And then, you know, they're not going to be engaged in the work because it's we're forcing them to do something that they obviously we believe they need to do. And obviously, I'm on both sides of the fence. I'm in the school to try and be in the class to understand it on the ground. Like We're trying to be there next to the kids and have the conversation. I was speaking to a child today, literally earliest today, and I was like, what do you need? How can I help you? Only let me know what you need, and then I'll work based on that. We can't assume we know what kids need and then pressure and push them because we're always going to have a knockback. And we need to be able to work with the children to support the children, man. Like, I don't want to speak about it too much, but that's just the truth, man. Um, but yeah, man, that's, I definitely believe that. Um, but yeah, that's why they, they, they misbehave and that can lead to them getting sent out of the class, lead to them getting detention, and lead to them get isolation uh, and possibly exclusion. But all of that can get avoided if you have a simple thing, conversation. We, we can't control these kids. We need to be able to know what they want and support them. Support is the key. Uh, we don't want to be have improved. You don't want to go to young offending institutions and end up going to prison and reoffending, because getting good grades again, I spoke about this already, and and passing the SATs exams, and that's all it's about. You know, we're pushing kids to pass these exams, so Ofsted can say, yeah, the teaching is good in the school. We want to make sure that you know, you we all your education has been fed to the right ears, and we're, you're doing the right thing. You're producing the factory that we want. Let's go. You know. So the natural curriculum, which I talked about before, for me is producing people with basic general knowledge, which means that you're the equivalent of a, of a primary school teacher. Again, I worked in both. So a primary school teacher, you work with one teacher and they teach you 
you know, three, four subjects a day throughout the week. It's the same, you know, in secondary school. You have a collective of teachers that teach you different information. So you're meant to talk about all these things, in my opinion, that can't help you in real life. The only thing that's really going to help you in real life is, is mathematics. You need to add, you need to tell the time, you know, money and all of this stuff. But, you know, certain subjects won't be beneficial for the children in about 10 years' time. And that's a fact. Algebra and all of this stuff. Like, I, don't, I can never use algebra ever. I left school 16 years ago. I've never used none of this stuff. And again, that's part of the problem. It's like we're just teaching them just because we have to, we need a job and then, they, you know, we're in the system and we just need to just get by, you know. But once a teacher or any member of staff, because I'm a support staff, I'm not a teacher. Uh, once a support staff has the level of love, care and empathy, everything changes. It's not a job for them, it's their life. And that's how I feel. I feel like this is my life, this is my duty. And that's the people that can get laws and things passed. Not people that come in to do a job. And there's many, many staff members. I've worked in various schools all around West London. I've seen it. I've seen things replicate. So you can't say it's one school. You can't. You can't say that. Um, you can just say it's a, the education system as a whole. It's, it's the Department of Education in this country. You know, connected to Ofsted and all this stuff that I just said about exams and making sure everyone gets GCSE A to C. If you don't get that, then where are you in life? That's that's literally how young people think. Like literally, that's that's a mad fear that a lot of young people had, and I had as a child. That's why I'm saying all of this stuff. And um, yeah, just giving you a basic general knowledge, which will either give you a job as a teacher or just a job in general. So it's giving you the mindset of saying you can get a job, right? Because always say, okay, you know, when you be creative, you can't get a job doing that, like music or dance or anything creative. They always say that they always look down on creatives, and I'm creative, so I'll speak for us and I say that every time you know you go to somebody say oh yeah I do this they just look at it as like it's fun like presenting or DJing or anything that you're passionate about anything that's creative they always look at it as like oh it's just a little side thing you know but at the end of the day this is how our mind works this is how we are we, we, we don't have to do what everyone else does right just because that's where the system is set up We everybody has gifts and talents I believe we nurture children's gifts and talents we don't discard them and push them to do stuff we make sure we teach them the right things as well as giving them stuff that they want to do alongside it that can support what they do so it's crazy man it's crazy man but um yeah man like in adult life they need to kind of learn entrepreneurship so they can create jobs um a job is not just something someone can give you you can create one you can create your own income you know i heard someone say oh yeah how, how are you gonna invest in something if you don't have money like you can create income if you if you know how, that's how the the lifeblood entrepreneurship is marketing and sales. So if you know how to sell something and exchange it for money and then invest that money into and then resell it, that's a skill that can be learned over time. That's income, you know. So it depends on your mindset. Anyone can do it. Anybody can do it. In the internet age, go online now. Nothing's stopping you. I'll tell you that right now. So, like I said before, it's more of a do, learn, trial and error, failing forward way of life right and and at school when you're young they always tell you don't make a mistake but when you're young you need to ride a bike you're gonna fall off that bike when you're when you're a baby when you try and walk you're gonna keep falling but the whole point is that you learn from mistakes i always tell the children all the time like when they beat themselves up like oh i made a mistake or don't you bad i was like look let's feel good about mistakes because at the end of the day mistakes are great because you can learn and grow from them right it's good to get things right first time but look let's start learning let's grow like it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. Mistakes are there to make, right? And that's what every, every child should know, that like mistakes are not the be or end of like your self-esteem, like you're not good enough or you're not great. You're the best. And I used to think like that. And that's why I'm saying it, like mistakes are cool. Keep making them, keep learning, keep growing.
Um, but there's this massive thing about qualifications and experience. Like, I, I saw one quote today in the classroom and it said, our oh, qualifications will get you there quicker. But if you, you know, basic just an experience with very little qualification you have to start from the bottom and work hard and it could take longer what that quote says to me and probably to a child is that it's, it's positive events negative it's like pro qualification i'm not against qualifications but in terms of the line of work that i do is it's purely based off what you do i had a p teacher in my last school and he was like so adamant about trying to get another job and he only worked in that school. For me, that was a good achievement. 18 to 24, a young person to have a job for six years. That's that's amazing, right? And he wanted to go to another school and it's like he didn't have the level one or the level two and then things count. Don't get don't get me wrong. But he's actually ran programs. He's actually done stuff for a long period of time that someone that's just done a course for three years, which is the same system that, that the school in the, in, in the university that just fed information, ticked it, paid money for a course and got a piece of paper. But no matter how much you know, you know, money you spend on your graduation or, you know, how much money you spend on an expensive frame is just a piece of paper. And the reality is once you put that diploma down, you got to really face life. And that's the reality. So all that stuff looks good when you walk in your parents' house and you go, oh yeah, my son went uni and uni and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, that stuff, what system are you feeding? You always got to think like that, all right? And the only thing that I feel education will give you is a social dynamic. From your young, we care about how much friends we make from primary to secondary and all that stuff. So, yeah, man, that's that's the only thing I'll say about uni. But, yeah, man, this, this is it, man. This is the podcast. I kind of, I don't know how I, I, I skip through it. I always talk about the book I'm reading, which is um, What You See Is What You Get by Alan Sugar. Um, I don't have a lot of quotes, but I've got one nice line here today that I highlighted, which I'll go through. Um, so, right here, it says... Another business lesson to learn. Let your opponent win. Something that I was banging my point home like a hammer. Like he was banging it. When I realized that it's no good boxing people into a corner if you really want to succeed. You you, you need to let them win a little and leave with a nice way out. Which means that you can't be wrong and strong. You can't fight your point. Sometimes you have to lose some battles in business. Some things can't always go your way. Life's not about what you want. And again, it's a hard concept to overcome. It's, it's, it's again, back to the word discipline. Is a discipline to just accept something and move on. One of the things that I will leave you with right now, which is from the 10 distinctions between the millionaire and middle class, was that um, successful people accept change, good or bad. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that I've had to learn myself. He's like, okay, this has happened, let's go. Like, we have to still keep running the race. Um, and again, that's about, again, that will tie into perseverance. Um, but I'm going to end this with, you know, in terms of like, you know, just everyone as a whole, we're people. Let's not just come together because of the problems. Let's now and always come together for the solutions and stick with it. It's Jerome, the Desire to Inspire podcast, and I'll be back.